Welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for Friday, April 4th, 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And today we're going to be covering the topics of some hits from around the league, including Brooks Orpik and Douglas Murray, a little something on the St. Louis Blues, and we'll get into some stuff on stats, particularly hits plus minus and what they actually tell us. So let's get going. All right. Well, probably the two biggest things that happened uh, hit-wise since the last time we spoke, Ryan, was the Brooks Orpik hit on Jonathan Taze, Captain Canada, and also the Douglas Murray hit um, on Prod Koska um, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, first off, I'd like to say Orpik's hit was clean and Murray's hit um, was just an ugly mess. Is probably the best way to put it. Um, if you go and have a look at the website, I've written up a piece on the Douglas Murray hit. If you want to have a look at that, um, it's probably a, it's a good example um, for me in regards to the league making its own bed in regards to being softer on hits earlier in the year, making a precedence and 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 limiting themselves in regards to the games made. Because I I think legitimately that players hit to hurt. They just don't hit to injure. Anyone that thinks that players these days go in, into this game to just separate players from the puck, which is all a, a check's really supposed to be, uh, is kidding themselves. So Brooks Orpik went in there to, to hurt Jonathan Taves, no doubt about it. Didn't go in there to, to injure him. It's just unfortunate that he did. And, and Douglas Murray went with every intent to hurt Koska. He just did it in such a clumsy and, and ugly-looking way that he should get more than three games. Uh, your thoughts, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I have to agree with everything you said there. Um, I do agree there is a difference between hitting to hurt, hitting to injure. However, there is that fine line, and you can see where it could go wrong. And if you base the suspensions on injury, that's where you run into trouble with the consistency of the calls because hitting to hurt, if there is an injury, looks really bad and you'll end up with that longer suspension based on how the NHL calls things. But if you make the same hit and he's not hurt, well, there's not really much recourse for that player to not try and do that hit over and over again and, and just take the chance they don't get caught. Well, it's, it's funny. When I, I did the suspension article on, on Murray's hit, the thing that I found was <clears throat> I've got my, like, my little suspension table that I use to, to come up with the number of games lost. I don't have anything in there for um, principal point of contact being the elbow. <laughs> you know, you would have thought that when I started doing this thing up, well, it's probably 12 months ago now, you know, I would have had something in there for the elbow, but no, I don't. Um, so it's one of those things where we get to the end of the year, it'll be good to add that back in, try and find a level in regards to where it should be. Because the thing with that Murray hit is that he, he's – and he can be a bit lumbering and slow at times. Either he was he was just clumsy and missed the hit, and that's why his elbow came up. Because in almost every shoulder check, everyone's elbow rises upon point of contact. So either he got to the hit later than he was expecting, and his elbow came up, or the reality of the situation is he just came in with his elbow up with every thought process of wiping Koska out, um, and just got his elbow to the head. I know there's a size difference between the two, but You've, if, if Zidane Chara can hit legally, 
there's no reason why Douglas Murray can't hit legally as well. Absolutely. But part of the reason why Doug Murray is clumsy is because Doug Murray is also moves like a glacier out there. He's not, very, he's not very talented. So he puts yes. himself in those situations. And yeah. you're left like, with that chicken wing reaching, like in desperation to try and get a piece of somebody. But as you said, there was a size difference when he went to reach to get that piece. It was the guy's chin. Yeah, but but the thing is, though, everyone's everyone's a different size. I mean, as a player, you know this going into the game is that you if you're going to line someone up, you've got to get it right. I mean, thankfully he did get suspended. I just don't think it was for enough games. And I'm extremely glad that with the Orpic hit, they didn't bother to look at that because principal point of contact was the shoulder. Um, he didn't leave his feet until contact was made. It wasn't even a minor penalty in my book. No, I know. Um, what was the other one? Taves' head only hits Orpic's shoulder because of the velocity of the hit itself. It's the snap of the neck that makes contact that forces Taves' head to hit Orpic's shoulder. Um so I, you get there and go, that's the sort of hit you actually still want to see in the league. Absolutely. Because everyone wants the physical contact and that sort of stuff. What didn't help was that Taves didn't look over his shoulder or behind him as he went into the corner. He was totally unaware that Orpik was coming. And I know some people have tried to say it's a predatory hit because he came in slightly on his blind side. But that's not Orpik's fault for the fact that Taves didn't know he was there. No, I mean, it's Taves being make... vulnerable is, is on him. Yeah. As long as it's not a headshot or, or a penalty, there's no – who cares if the guy's vulnerable or, or not? If, if it's a legal hit, then it's on <laughs> the guy with the puck. Yeah. No, I, you won't hear me argue any of that. It, it's just – it just sucked that Taves got injured. And as a lot of people have said, if it had have been someone of less importance, it would have – it wouldn't have got the – the Twitter coverage that it did, and it's the same. It's the flip side. I'm sure the Penguins fans would have gone nuts if that had happened to James Neal. Or of course, I don't know about sit- that. You reckon? I do. Dustin Bufflin rocked Jokinen with a similar hit the uh, last night, and I don't. And, and Jokinen did get shaken up and a little bit hurt, and I don't think anybody was too upset with that hit. Yeah, but I don't think that Bufflin hit was anywhere near as ferocious as the one that Orpik put on. I don't know, man. Tight. That guy's like 250 pounds. He left his feet just like he left his feet, I believe, even before contact, whereas Orpik left his feet after contact. But I don't have a problem with either of the two hits. No, no, neither do honest. I. I think the difference to me with between those two hits is that Bufflin's hit didn't slam Jokinen into the boards. And I think the thing with Orpik's is you obviously get that clutter and that clash when bodies hit the, the glass. I think for me, maybe that's why I don't look at that Bufflin hit as physical. And it probably was. I mean, I'm not the one getting hit by Dustin Bufflin. So no. um, <laughs> so it probably was just as ferocious. It just didn't sound it and didn't look it to me at the time when I saw it. But I, I do know the hit you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, the, the league did pretty good with those two hits. Could still do a lot more with the headshot stuff, in my opinion. But it's not going to change now. They've, they've had, what is it, two years now under the, the Shanavan sequence? So they've set their precedence up now. So th- there's no, what is it, the max you can have on a phone call is three. Uh, the max you can get is 10 if it's an in- in-person hearing for a first offence. So the most Murray could have got was 10 um, if they had a, 
a face-to-face I'm, hearing. I'm not so sure. I know Shanahan gets a lot of the crap for everything, but I, I'm really not so sure that it's all on him. I think when well, he so- first uh, started the job, he was pretty fierce with those suspensions. I remember James Wisniewski in the preseason didn't he get like 10 or 12 games, missed the, the start of the season? And it I'll was right so. when he signed with Columbus, and it was a big deal. And I think a lot of the GMs and owners got pissed off at him and then told him to tone it down. So guess what he did? Toned it back. And guess where we are now? Headshots yeah. and all sorts of other yep. garbage. So it, they've kind of made their bed. This is the kind of league they want. Well, you're going to start losing players eventually. Yeah, so, sometimes nice. stars, sometimes not. Yeah, but it's a physical game. You're never going to go through a, a season where you're going to lose, not going to lose star players. I mean, no, it's a contact at, sport. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Toronto after last night. You know, Bernier's done his, his left, uh, left left MCL with Australia, all because his teammate pushed the Bupels out too. It's a contact sport. That's okay. It'll be done soon, anyways. You're pretty confident on that, aren't you? Yeah, they're not. Well, we'll see. Although I think Columbus is tied with Chicago as we speak right now, and Detroit is uh, crushing Buffalo. So uh, not good for uh, the Leafs at the present moment. Someone crushing Buffalo, that's rare. Yeah. Well, they're designed to do that this year, so that's actually a good result for them. But don't you want to, don't you want to be terrible next year? Well, I, I, I think they've set themselves up quite nicely to do that, too. Okay. All right. No, it's just because that's the thing. All I keep hearing about is Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid. And I'm like, well, that's not this year's draft, is it? It's the year after. So it's not just Connor yeah. McDavid, though. It's, uh, I can't think of the guy's name off the top of yep. my head. Eichmann or so- something along those lines. Ekblad? No, Ekblad's this year. It's another this year. forward next year. I can't think right. of his name. But he's not. Connor McDavid, but he he would be like a number one caliber guy for a draft like this year. And okay. if you tank and you're the worst team in the league, you're guaranteed a number two pick, so you're guaranteed to get one of those. So yeah, we know all about tanking. Yeah, Penguins did a nice job. Good timing. Nice. Yeah, that's, in the it all just comes down to timing in the end, doesn't it? So. On the flip side, some teams actually build themselves up uh, without top picks and through the draft and makes nice trades, and that team would be the St. Louis Blues. And I believe you are under the assumption they are a win-now-or-bust kind of team. Yeah, and look, this is this is predicated purely on the fact that they remind me of a football team over here in Australia who have a bunch of... For one of the better term, they're, they're good. They're, their best players are probably in that category where you'd go, they're borderline superstar, but they're definitely the group of players just underneath. So they're not just good. They're, they're just underneath that borderline superstar sort of level. And this particular team was really, really good for five years. And they had their one opportunity to win it, and they muffed it. And... There's there's a little bit about this St. Louis, and this is just a gut feel. It's, I've got no stats to go on or anything like that. It just feels as though with the talent that the Blues have and the coach that they have, I think the players have just gone, we've got a chance to do well here. They've controlled their skill sets into the system that Hitchcock's got them playing. And I think if it, it falls apart, if, if they don't win it, they don't win it next year, 
it'll just fall apart. I just and that's what happened to this team over here in the AFL. They just they got to their, their grand final, um, they lost it, and then it all just fell apart on them. So it's not that I don't like the St. Louis Blues. If there's a team that I would like I would like to see win it, if it's not the Penguins, would be St. Louis, particularly now that Ryan Miller's there. Um, but it's just something that just something about that team that just reminds me of that St Kilda football club. It just makes me think that they're going to have a crack. If it doesn't work, it's just going to fall apart. That's all. And, and that's the thing. Like, there's a stack of statistics that would tell me otherwise. I like the list. I like the roster that they've got. It should do quite well. But in regards to getting to the Stanley Cup finals and winning it, I, I think if they get there, they'll get there once. And if they don't win it, they'll constantly be second, second round exits after that. I think the good news for them, at least as far as this year is concerned, they will not run into the Los Angeles Kings in round one like they have the last two years, which has derailed their promising playoff push. Because last year they were a really good team too. And, yep. and, that, and that's been their problem is that they've got a really good team, but they can't, it's like I think the Penguins are almost basically are in that same thing. They got two cracks at the cup, they got one of them, and you get there and go, well, it's been a waste ever since because they've come into the playoffs either flat or down or injured and all that sort of stuff. So you get there and you've only got a really small window to to have a crack at the cup, like a legitimate crack at the cup. Like the Penguins are going to be in the playoffs as long as they've got Crosby and Malkin for the next seven or eight years. But to and have Eastern Conference. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Um, to have a legitimate chance of winning the cup, though, the, the window is so small. So it's... That's why Chicago winning two in was it two in four years or two in three years is such an amazing effort. Yeah, and they're the only team to win two cups since the uh, salary cap came into place. Yeah. Um. I I think the the Blues are actually set up pretty good for a while. So I'm gonna kind of disagree in the sense that they'll fall apart. I think the problem for the Blues is what conference they play in more so than their actual roster. I, I don't think it would be a reflection on the Blues so much if they bowed out to the Kings or Sharks or Blackhawks because no, they, those are pick the, series, all of them. And that's and that's the problem, though. They go into those series with that particular roster, which is a great roster, but if it doesn't get the job done, then that entire roster set, like they might get through and they won't have to play LA until the conference finals, right? But they'll still have to go through Chicago at some point. So they might get through Chicago, then play LA or the in the Sharks. conference finals and lose to that and lose again there. I mean, they've gone. It's like the Sharks. The Sharks are in the we're in the same position. I was going to say, yeah, San Jose. You're pretty much yeah. calling them San Jose. It, that, and that and that's the thing. And it's not it's not their fault or anything like that. It's just they're good at the wrong title, I suppose. You know what I mean? Like. Like you were saying about the Penguins, they're lucky. They're good at the moment in a conference that's not particularly deep in regards to quality. So it, when they got got past the Islanders last year, they weren't playing particularly good hockey. <laughs> so they could sneak their way through. Over in the West, you don't get that luxury in the first round. They might yeah. this year. I think they're scheduled to play the Wild or, or Dallas, one of the two, as of the standings right now. Yeah. So it's yeah. a little bit easier. Well, I don't know about that. But yeah, I get what Compared you're to right. some of the other options they have, I mean, not compared to the East. <laughs> no. 
Stars um, are actually pretty pretty okay. The no, nice thing no. about the Blues that I like is that they're twenty five million under the cap for next year, and they're not really losing all that much. That's ridiculous. They're you're losing Derek Roy, who I'm never been a, a real yes, big fan man. of. <laughs> he he is what he is. Um, Steve Ott, yeah, he's okay, but whatever. You might lose him. Brendan Morrow, another UFA. But that's it for UFAs. The big one will be Jaden Schwartz, locking him up. He's an RFA. Vladimir Sabatko. Is, is Miller a UFA? He is. I'm sorry. I should. I, I kind of just skipped over him because, in my mind, I just figure he's... Assume he's going to sign there? Um, I don't know. You hear a lot about his wife on the West Coast, yada, 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 except for the whole problem that none of the teams on the West Coast need a goalie. Yeah. Quick, obviously not. Hiller's up for a contract, but they have John Gibson, the uh, Pittsburgh native, who was USA Hockey's golden boy in the World Juniors one or two years ago. He's probably almost about ready to take the reins. Why would you, if you sign Miller long term, you're just telling John Gibson, you know, you got to wait how many years? I'm sure that wouldn't sit well. No, I can get what you mean there. But uh, even if Miller walks, the, the Blues have Jake Allen, who played well for them last year. He's young. That's the one I was thinking of, because I don't think Ryan Elliott can get that team to go all the way through. That That's all. That's and then... Um, it's Miller, and it's like, well, who is there besides Elliott? But I forgot about Allen. They do have another piece from the Eric Johnson-Chris Stewart trade. Ty Ratty, he's one of the right. top prospects. He's got 29 goals right now in the AHL. He'll have a 30-goal year. Um, he might be ready to for prime time next year. Uh, I would argue that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be an even better player next year. And um, still on his entry-level deal, too. Correct. Uh, Steen's locked up. Oshie's locked up. Backies is locked up. I mean, Schwartz will get locked up. You're, you're talking a lot of pretty good I, talent there. Don't forget, everything I said about the Blues is just based on a feel. I look at that roster and I like it. It's just that you get there and you go, there's a, a window there. They don't have they don't have a Taves and a Kane. You know what I mean? They don't have a Quick and a Kopitar on that roster. Uh, Backies is... No. He's... He can't just take over a game. He can't just win a game off his own back. It's all hard work and, and grit and grind and... and he he can you can only will you can't will a team to the Stanley Cup if that's your for me I think that's back as big as strength. I'll give you that that they, yeah, they do lack the dynamic. Yeah. Maybe and that's maybe Schwartz grows into that. I don't know. Maybe, but unless unless he does, they don't have that they don't have those couple of guys that can just be game breakers and break well they've got Miller, okay, but he's not locked up. So you get there and go unless one of those young guys comes through and becomes that person, and who knows, they might. Their window is so small in regards to being able to get through, and they're just in the Western Conference at the wrong time. It's going to be the wrong time for a few years, though. Correct. No, no, that's exactly right. There was a stage there where the East was, you just didn't want to be in the East, and it was easier to get to the conference, to the cup finals if you're in the in the West. But it's changed now. I mean, all those... All those um, Californian teams and all that sort of stuff, they're awesome now. Like it used to just be the Sharks and the Ducks were good for like two or three years and then it all fell apart again and they had to rebuild it through. So it, you get there with it and go, 
it's just good to see hockey that good in areas that it hasn't been. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with Wayne Gretzky, clearly for the California part, Southern expansion, for all the crap that Gary Bettman takes. Um, it, it is... It has not worked in every single area, but <laughs> but it has worked in some areas and quite well. San Jose is a terrific hockey market. L.A.'s doing a really nice job now that they're kind of on the up and up again. They were pretty bad for a while. I think Carolina's a nice little market. I mean, they tailgate for hours before those games. I, I, I like that. They tailgated everything, though, Carolina. It, absolutely, but that, that makes them a unique kind of cool market. There's a lot yes. of northeast transplants that, that move their families down there that grew up with hockey and kind of move a little bit south, and, and they get their fix with the Hurricanes. The problem is when you know their favorite team comes into town, they're rooting against the Hurricanes, yeah. but, you know. Yep. As long as they're paying for the tickets, whatever. That, that's all the franchise cares about, really, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's enough about the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> now, hits. The stat category. All right. I was talking to someone on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. And, and they, were, they just came up with a comment. It was a bit flippant, but it was made a pretty good point. It can't be that hard to go around to all the stat guys in the league and get them to understand what the definition of a hit is and actually mark it up properly. Because there are players like Tanner Glass, Craig Adams, that use shot blocks and hits to work at how much they're worth in their contracts. Now, I know when I've watched the Philly and Pittsburgh series before, you go into Pittsburgh and there are about, you know, 65, 70 hits in a game. You go to Philadelphia and there's about 20. And you know the games don't change that much because both buildings class a hit differently to each other. It, it just baffles me. I mean, isn't a check, definition of a check, just to remove the puck from the player's stick? I don't know. That's so if you, look at that, <laughs> if you look at it that way and just go, Physical removal of the of the player from the puck, that's a hit. If the puck's already gone and you do what Orpik did to to Taves, that doesn't count as a hit, statistically speaking. It, it has an effect, and then it's up to the it's up to the the player manager to get there and improve the the worth of what that player brings. To to go, okay, he's only got sixty five hits for the year, but he had forty five other hits that you could see made a physical impact in in that particular game throughout the year. And so it's just one of those things where I would just like to see stuff like that. Cause you've got, we've got all these advanced stats now and they're all measurable yet. You've got hits, which is a fluff stat in regards to how it's recorded and plus minus. And, and they're, they're two stats that players contracts are set on those numbers yet. It wouldn't be on mine if I was doing the negotiations. Yeah, but that's the thing, though. Because what what other value does, does Tanner Glass bring to the Penguins? Shot blocking and and hits. And there were hits consequently, both stats that you can't do unless you don't have the puck. Yeah, well, yes, that is a problem at times, isn't it? But you you get there with it, and it's just one of those things that sort of baffles me that it hasn't been locked down so that teams and 
players know exactly what's going on with that. It, it's just sort of one of those things where I know it's a small thing and it doesn't really matter. It's just that when contracts are being decided upon and, you know, the Penguins are tied on their cap, you've got to try and find a way to make sure everyone takes a little bit less so you can fit more in. I I don't have a use for, for either of those stats, to be quite honest with you. You know what they're good for? Fantasy hockey. I think they're really cool to add to a fantasy hockey league, but I don't I don't care about them as far as actually analyzing a player because I believe that the things like people that hit well and block shots well, that'll get built into their Fenwick possession rating. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if they're separating people from the puck if they're blocking shots, because Fenwick does not include block shots, then their possession ratings will bear that out, that they, they are good at that because because of their actions, they'll get the puck back. Correct? Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. For the example you use, Tanner Glass, he hits a ton, block shots a ton. He's, he's kind of a pig when it comes to puck possession. <laughs> To put it bluntly, I mean, sorry, I'll, but I'll that. no, no, I love <laughs> And I think that I value physical hockey. I really do. This isn't me trying to say that that doesn't have a place, but like, it has to be effective. And I don't think a player like him, because he leads the Penguins in hits, or maybe Orpik does. I don't know, but he probably leads the forwards. That. It doesn't mean anything to me because he's not effective at all, and it bears it out in his possession stats and his offensive stats, which are always minuscule. So I don't like those real-time stats for the reason you stated earlier. They're not accurate building to building. And furthermore, I I don't think you need them because I think uh, another stat, the possession stats, take care of that. They kind of engulf them in their own right. So... But they're fun for fantasy hockey. It makes you have to draft those kind of offbeat players, which makes it more fun. So for that reason, I think it's really nice. But All right, so we'll move on from boring things. Although, do you want to talk about Ovi and the plus-minus and the relative pointlessness of plus-minus? Yes, and I'm not going to rail Ovi and plus-minus because that's another stat I really don't care about. Everybody's (laughs) beating them up right now for being negative – I don't know. He's probably negative in the 30s or whatever. He's got 49 goals. That's nothing to sneeze at. And he is not a complete player. You don't have to make the argument against that. It's pretty clear he's not. But what he is is one of the best at what he does. And that has high value because putting goals on the board matters a lot. Generally helps you when you get them. To diss him on plus minus, you don't have to. What you can diss him on is, I don't even know how this is possible. He did not have an even strength point in the month of March. Yeah, Think about that for a second. It's pretty brutal when you hear it out loud. Honestly, he's supposed to be one of the, you were beating up the blues for not having a dynamic player. Doesn't Ovechkin define what a dynamic player is? I'm sure yep. some of those blues guys are pumping home even strength points. Yep. I, I don't know. I don't even know how it's even possible for him to not get an even strength point with how much he shoots. He couldn't accidentally 
shoot it off a guy's chest or, you know, most of his assists come off rebounds. Like, that couldn't have happened. It just goes to show, okay. I mean. So everything you've just said, Danny's Ovi doing what Ovi does, shooting the puck, right? So yeah. is that Ovi's fault that no one's managed to put a rebound in off a goalie's pad? Well, some of that's, that's puck. Probably, I mean, that that's is what it is. The way Ovi plays is that he shoots, 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 shoots. If people aren't there to put in those garbage goals, he's not going to get assists on that stuff because he's not he's not a a rush the puck, pass it off, go to the rebound himself. He's no, he a never rush will be. No, and, and that's the thing. So you get there and go, I think that the month of March is just as much an indictment on the way the Caps have not been able to press up for a playoff spot because it looks as though the team's just not working to get into the right spots to get the dirty goals, which is one of the reasons why they haven't been winning. Ovi deserves tons of criticism for not generating offense at even strength, but um, his GM's done a terrible job of surrounding him because he's not an all-around... Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taves, like he's not going to lock down that line to the point where even when he's not producing offense, there's really not much else there. It's not like he's coming back all the way and, you know, playing that shutdown defense like a Bergeron. Yeah. Sid or... So the Caps, though, do you get there and try and find a second-line centre so that they can put Nicholas Backstrom and keep him back with Ovi like they've done tonight, apparently? Backstrom should always be with Ovi. Okay, so then they've got to go find a second-line centre then. I think they do kind of have him, but he's been injured for a little while. I thought the Grabowski signing was very good for them. Yes, well, injuries. What what Washington lacks is bottom six quality, kind of like the Penguins, except... That sounds very familiar. Yeah, but they don't have that top six that has a Crosby and a Malkin playing all 200 feet. And with the Penguins, you have James Neal kind of playing that Ovechkin sniper role, but the Caps only have Backstrom to back up. Now, you were talking about sniper in regards to shooting goals, weren't you? You're not trying to knock people's heads, were you? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but the Caps' defense stinks, and McPhee's done a terrible job, and I think they will probably move on from him um, this offseason, I think. I think they will. So does, that, does that mean Adam Oates goes as well? Because usually GMs like to bring in their own coach. Um, yeah, he could, and quite frankly, I think Oates has handled Ovechkin publicly um, not so great the last week. Um, Ovechkin did quit on that one play earlier in the week and Oates said so much in his press conference about him quitting on the play, but also said today that he hasn't addressed it with Ovechkin yet. And to me, that's nonsense because as a coach, your number one job to your players is being a great communicator. So if that is true and he didn't, he hasn't talked to him since he made those comments, I, I just don't think that's a good job. That that's baffling. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. There was a game of football on last night, and one team got absolutely spanked by the other, and you could tell that the media for the team that got hammered were going to want to have the coach go nuts about his team. And I I said to a few people, this coach should go into the rooms after the game, tell the players. 
look, it's a terrible game. It's only round two or three of the season. It's a wash. Just forget it and we'll move on, right? Whatever I say to the media, it's just fluff for the media. So if I sit there and, and bag you out or anything, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not for you guys. It's for the media. You, you protect your team from the criticism. I, that's baffling from Oates. The, I, I'm not the, against that, what you're saying, but to single call out you know, your, your superstar player yeah. like that, why, why not call everybody out if you're going to go that approach and, and go back you know, before he goes out to the podium say, yeah, I'm throwing you all under the bus, just get ready for it kind of thing. But he got very specific. And, you know, that's probably not going to go over well. It's like he's looking for right or wrong. Yeah, it's like he's trying to lose his job. Well, he can only do so much with what's there, but I do think he could probably do better than he handled the PR aspect of it this week. But it's a Capitals... So we'll move on from move on from OV and plus minus. Uh, next up, um, Pens fans, they are a bipolar bunch. Yes, they are, and I put my hand up. I'm one of those. I uh, I thought about this yesterday, watching the the game. You, you sort of follow Twitter through as you're watching the game, and I find it amazing how critical. We are as Penguins fans, and particularly on the coaching staff at the moment with some of the roster decisions, um, mainly because we sit there and say, particularly Simone Dupre should be playing. Um, we should be trying to put more youth and speed into the bottom six, and then Craig Adams goes ahead and scores a goal. So you then get everyone saying how great Craig Adams is and, and how great it is that Bosman keeps him in and he rewards him and all that stuff. It's just... It's just baffling. I don't know whether every other fan base is like this, but it's amazing how left and right as a fan base the Penguins can be in the space of 20 minutes. Yeah, but I don't think it's much different than any other fan base. You see it if you go to different message boards of other teams. Um, It happens everywhere. Um, The thing that I think causes a lot of this is the fact that people look at things in in black and white and it's so it's so not it's shades of gray because for my hockey buzz penguin articles i i get critical of biosma's personnel choices lately i don't like seeing guys like megna and gibbons playing behind uh pyatt and adams but does that mean Bilesma is an incompetent coach because I happen to disagree with some of his personnel choices? No, no, absolutely not. There's a lot of good that he does. I mean, this just happens to be one area where I personally view the game a little bit differently, but, you know, that's that's okay. You know, the thing that sort of – the thing – it's one of the problems, I suppose, that any sports anywhere has got in regards to the media being able to ask questions of the staff and the players is that you can only ask questions that probe so far because you've still got to have at least a workable relationship. Like you look at Larry Brooks and John Tortorella. It just didn't work in the end. It just doesn't seem like any of the Pittsburgh media get there and and ask, why are you playing Adams and Glass over 
these younger guys? Why aren't they getting more minutes? What's the reasoning behind it? Just so the fans can understand why Bilesman thinks the way he thinks. And I don't think Bilesman would answer that question anyway. He'd, he'd fudge it. He'd no, but, it but if, you, if you get asked, at least it's asked. And it hasn't been. That's the thing that's, that's sort of thrown me off. Like, you know, a lot of the articles you've written on Hockey Buzz over the last month have been about roster decisions and, and what the hell's going, mainly because the roster's been in and out with injuries. Um, but no one seems to want to ask those questions. Why aren't you playing Simone Dupre? What has Simone Dupre done? That question should be asked almost every day, though. I mean, that's a gross uh, misunderstanding of what works in the modern NHL and what does not. I think my article the other day, I compared Dupre, Bortuzzo, Englund, and the goals that get scored when each of them are on the ice with our top six forwards there. And it's night and day. Dupre, all top six forwards on for the Penguins, see a drop in their goals for percentage when they're away from Dupre. Not that he's played a ton of minutes with them, but he's played enough to where the sample size says, all right, these guys get worse without him. And every other, the other guys, they, they get better. When so, so you get there and go, okay, so we can see those stats. What is it? And this is, these are the questions that I'd love to have answered. What is it that he's doing wrong, according to the coaching staff, that's making him sit. You surely you can't look at the output that Bortuzzo and England are putting on the ice and go that output is better than what you're going to get from Desprey. So what is it that he's doing wrong that's forcing him to sit? Honestly, uh, he's he's not a polished player yet. He will oh, make no mistakes. Change. However, it's hockey culture. It, there's still a stigma that hasn't that hockey hasn't gotten over with um, the value of the the grit, the toughness, the 70s style hockey being just such a physical sport that I think some people still value, you know, that that old school toughness. But that's that's just not... not, After After the way the Penguins got toasted in the conference finals trying to be physical with Boston... I would have thought they would have been able to look at that and go, okay, if we have to cross them again in the playoffs, and they will if they want to go through, then they're not going to be able to push them around, particularly with the roster that they've currently got. Why not go for speed? And when I say speed, I mean puck speed. Get the puck up and out. When Bosman took over in 09, that was all he wanted to do was get the puck out of the zone as quick as he could. He actually had a roster that could that could competently do that. The problem that, that Wilesma has with his traditional system in doing that is the skill level's not there deep enough through the roster, which is why it looks like the system fails at times because players can't is. make yeah, players can't make tape to tape passes. And and there was the stage there against in the last game where all England had to do was collect the puck on the blue line and get it across the blue line. He just fumbled it. Puck hit his stick, went in his skates, couldn't find it again. Puck went out. And they'd had – who did they play last game? I can't remember. Are you talking the Winnipeg game or the Carolina yeah, game? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Winnipeg game. He just – he couldn't couldn't keep it trapped in the zone. And it just rolled out on him and they had to call back out of the zone and Winnipeg got to change. 
it's just it's little things like that that you're not going to see that didn't happen in 09 because someone like England wasn't on the roster. They could do what they did because they had the depth. No, it's Chris, not, Chris Letang right. was a bottom-pairing defenseman that year. It says a lot, doesn't it, in regards to how deep they were, yeah. But Simone Dupre can be that bottom-pairing defense. Well, yep. let's be honest, though. If if the Penguins are completely healthy on defense, Simone Dupre does not, in my opinion, have a spot because you're talking uh, Letang, Skidari, Orpik, Martin, Mata, Niskanen. But... You know, if, if they had been playing Dupre all year long, building him up, you know, living with his mistakes, letting him learn, you'd have the option of maybe sitting an Orpic or a Scuderi when they're not going so well and, and putting him in and being able to be that force. I think one of the biggest crimes of not playing a guy like Dupre is you only get guys on an entry-level contract once. and. Yeah. The, the teams that win the Stanley Cup seem to have significant players on entry-level deals. And the Penguins have some really great players who won a cup, but they're not on those contracts anymore. And they're not taking advantage of the ones that they do. Now, Bo Bennett, hopefully, is one of these guys they start to take advantage of. But Simone Dupre is is not. Ali Mata, yes, of course. He's... Yeah. He's... Uh, Next, next year, I know the cap goes up next year, but I don't think any of the older defensemen are going to return. So does that mean that they're going to take the gamble on the entry-level D-men that should be coming through the system? Or are they going to get their go out and try and get a, a UFA, like an experienced UFA D-man to fill a guy like a Brooks Orpix role? No, no I don't think UFA is an option for them. I, and that's the thing. I think they should go with the youth on the back six. Well, define UFA. The only UFA they would go after would be their own, Niskanen. Yeah, he should walk. Yes. Um, uh, Nothing against him, but the cost that he's going to get compared to kind of how the Penguins are organizationally set up for the future, I I would take my chances 100% on Dupre filling that role. Or... You know, Ali Mata made the jump. There was a certain guy that was drafted, I don't know, like 15 spots ahead of him by the name of uh, Derek Puglio that, you know, he'll be in his first professional year next year. Who knows if he could make the jump? Yeah, it's stuff like that. that that's, what, that that's where being a GM's fun and hard at one time. <laughs> you get these kids and, and you obviously want them to all fully develop to their to, to the top of the top of their skill set, they expect them. So, and then you've got to work out which ones you keep, which ones you trade, which ones you, you take a gamble on to bring up, and just pray that you and the coaching staff are on the same page. Well, I guess the thing with Julio is, if they really didn't think he was going to be a difference maker in the semi near future, uh, the Penguins would probably have Ryan Kessler right now. You reckon that's what held the trade up? I think that would be the major piece that they would have wanted, and from everything said, the Penguins were not entertaining that at all. You so, still stand for the fact you think that if they had Kessler, they'd um, they'd be a lot better off. In the now, yes, depending yes. on what prospect went back. 
Um, it would have been tough to lose Pulio, but at the same time, you know how much how much of Brandon Sutter can you watch and think that he's going to fill that role? The more I watch of it, the less confident I am that he'll ever. You know, to me, he looks more like the best fourth line center in hockey as opposed to a decent third line center. Like Jordan Stahl used to be the best third line third line center in hockey and the ability to jump up into the top six. Whereas his replacement, who we never really needed to be Jordan Stahl, he's like the best fourth line center in all of hockey who maybe can bump up and kind of play third line center. So we've lost the line technically, particularly now that entire line is playing elsewhere. Um, so Marcel Gok then is probably going to have to be the third line solution. I th- I view him in a higher light right now. I think he's better. He's better defensively in this in the sense that I think he's stronger on the puck. I think I think Brandon Sutter plays soft and the Winnipeg game. He he would go on, he get he wins the foot races. He's not afraid to engage in the puck battle. He just never wins the puck battle, and that's a problem for a Stanley Cup contending third line center, in my opinion. You just can't have that. So when he's losing when he's losing the puck battles, is it because he's getting knocked over, or is it just the fact that he just can't leverage. win? Leverage. Leverage. For whatever reason, he's just not good with the leverage, and he's not strong on a stick. Guys are just powering through, rolling off. He's getting there. He's just. That's just it's baffling. I'm just I'm trying to think about it in a. In the physical context, is it the fact that his forearms aren't strong enough to be strong enough on the stick? Is it the fact that his core's not strong enough, and that's why players can get lower than his center of gravity, then push him away? To, you know what I mean? Like you're it right, starts, it starts with core and being strong on the puck with your stick. Obviously, always important, um, but I think you know. It's also a skill in how you position your body. Just look at how Crosby positions his hips on a lot of what he does, and he's able to bounce off. Yeah, it's it's he. I think I don't think he's. I don't think it's the fact he's not strong enough. I just don't think he's been taught, which sounds baffling when players get to this level. But I legitimately think he just hasn't been taught how to win those battles. He's just sort of gotten by on on his talent. And he's now being found out because he's on a team that he needs to be able to do it with more often, and he's just being exposed a bit. He doesn't have bad so. talent, but I don't think he necessarily. I, I think he has average talent, and Penguins are going to have to uh, find an answer there because he's Sutter, an RFA. Yeah, he is an RFA, but I'd let somebody sign him and take your draft picks. To be honest, I, I would. I would sign Gotch. For about a million less, because Sutter's going to look for close to four million. Because the way, if it goes to arbitration, the stats that they look at, they actually look at some of those goofy stats that we talked about earlier. Instead of possession, quality of competition, kind of wonder how long it'll take before the arbitrators look at the useful stats as opposed to the junk ones. That's why you see teams, they don't want to get into the arbitration with the players because it's such nonsense. Yeah. But we'll see. Well, I think I'm tapped out for the topics. How about you? Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to go catch some of these West Coast games. All right, well, you go and do that, and I um, I might go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, well, you are on the other side of the planet. Yeah, although it is in the morning. I had a fun night last night. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> thank, thanks for listening, guys, um, and we'll obviously attempt to do it again next week. Um, you can... Find me on Twitter at Gunnerstall, G-U-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-A-L. You can find Hockey Hurts at Hockey underscore Hurts. And you can find Cameron Walsh at Walshy 66 Yeah, probably should do some of that. <laughs> Self-promotion's not my biggest strength. Yeah. So until next week, we will see you then. Catch up.